I was one of those people that was a, a blessed recipient of Eric's duties. He helped me greatly in, in all the ways that he mentioned. Um, but you're helping people greatly, and, and maybe you don't realize it. When we look at these boxes, uh, these boxes represent children, but they represent families and villages. These are going all over the world. So you're having an impact all over the world. And I got a call from somebody as they were coming back from Brazil, and they wanted me to tell you thank you for helping him have an impact in Brazil. And uh, if you could put that first picture up, John. Uh, Tony Cook called, and <clears throat> he was teaching pastors in Brazil. And we support Tony, and uh, he just wanted to say thank you for that. This is a group of students, ministry students, that he also taught at a school for. So when you're going about your daily, daily routines and business, realize that what you, what you are impacting is greater than what you even are aware of. These people are people that God is preparing to send all over Brazil and Europe and the world. And uh, please keep Tony in your prayers. Uh, he, he just appreciates our faithfulness uh, to support him. And Operation Christmas Child appreciates your faithfulness for doing what you're doing. There are so many different opportunities every day for us to impact people. We are impacting the world, but we need to impact our neighbors, our family, our friends, and our co-workers. Amen? Well, this morning we're going to continue on uh, with what Jesus taught. Uh, he taught his disciples in the last days that he had with them and the last few moments that he had that were quiet and peaceful, uh, even though they were very stressful. Um, but he knew what was ahead. He knew that his, his followers were going to see him tortured, wrongly accused, crucified, and die. Now, if you had been following somebody for three years and you had given up, your life as it was to follow this person, and all of a sudden they die in front of your eyes, that would be a little traumatic, wouldn't it? Well, Jesus knew that was going to be very traumatic for them. And so what he was doing was he was preparing them. And, and through the teaching in John chapter 15, it was the first, the beginning of him teaching, a series of teachings on his way to uh, the Garden of Gethsemane where he was going to pray and then be arrested and then the beginning of the end was really coming, where he was going to be beaten and tortured, he was going to be wrongly accused, and he was going to go to the cross. But it was going to provide what you and I have experienced, and that is eternal life through Jesus Christ, because we have put our faith in Christ. But he knew that his disciples were going to be shaken. So he began to teach them about what would be important in the, in the days ahead, in the months ahead, the weeks ahead, and the years ahead. And it began with this teaching about being fruitful. And he said it's important. It's important because it brings great glory to the Father. It's important because that's what he chose and appointed his followers. How many followers here today of Jesus? He's, he's appointed you to bearing fruit. And it's also an indication that we are true disciples of the Lord. And uh, he, he explained that there were different uh, stages of fruit bearing and how there needed to be a purging or a, a discipline and cleansing the sin from our life that was still active in our life and is still active in our life 
once we come to faith in Christ because sin still comes at us. We still get tempted. Is that right? Anybody tempted this week? Yeah, absolutely. And even if you didn't think you were, you were. But, but he, he made them understand, helped them understand that there are going to be things that are going to tempt you. You and I are going to fall into sin. The Bible says, though a righteous man falls seven times, he arises. You know, the key to it is you get up one more time, then you get knocked down. All right? You just keep getting up. And so uh, he said this has to be purged. This sin has to be purged because sin brings death to our lives. It robs us of the very thing Jesus died for. And then he said we needed to purge things or prune things from our lives, cut away things that are of our old way of doing things, what the world's taught us, our own reliance on ourself, our guidance, our, our understanding, our wisdom. We need to trust in God. And then the final stage was abiding. And we see in, in John chapter 15, verse 5, 7, and 9, how that abiding is supposed to be. The first one, Jesus said, abide in me and I'll abide in he who abides in I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. So we abide in him. And when we talked about abiding, it's about reaching out, holding on to God. It's about connecting with God, continuously giving ourselves to God so God can give himself to us. How many of you know God wants to give himself to us more than we want him to give himself to us? He does because he knows how much that's going to benefit us. And he said, without me, you can do nothing. So we need that. We need to abide. We need to reach out, connect, make our home, continuously be present with God. And when, when I say that, you may say, well, you know, I don't, I don't know how to do that. Well, just be aware that God is there. God lives in you by his spirit. He did that for a purpose, and that was so that nothing at any time could ever separate you, could come between you and God. And so everywhere we go, everything we experience, God's right there. We just have to be intentional about being aware of his presence and being available to him, giving ourselves to him. The second part of abiding, he said, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it will be done for you. So as his, his presence is imparted to us and, and he begins to really live in us because the Bible says in him we live and move and have our being but do we you know it's something that we need to gain on but as as that happens his word needs to be filling us and that's one of the ministries of Holy Spirit he'll remind us of the word of God he'll remind us we need to be reminded because many times we're reminded of the things that are going on in the world and are those things getting better no and the Bible, the Bible prepares us. We shouldn't be scared of this because the Bible has prepared us to understand that these days are getting darker and darker. People are becoming worse and worse, more impacted by sin than ever before. But where sin abounds, grace much more abounds. And the grace of God is the empowering presence of God to cause you and me to be what he has for us to be and do what he has for us to do. But he resists the proud but he gives grace to the humble when we recognize we need God and we proclaim to him God I need you then his grace abounds because we're abiding we're reaching out for him and we're letting his word abide in us and then the third aspect of abiding it says that the father has loved me I also 
also have loved you. Abide in my love. Abide in his love. This is one of the most challenging things for many Christians because we've grown up in the world that is full of conditional love. It's a transactional love. If you do this, I'll love you. But that's not the way God does it. When we didn't do anything, when we were enemies of the cross, when we were doing things that were against what God said, he loved us with an everlasting love, and he's drawn us with his loving kindness. This isn't a conditional love. It's an unconditional love. And so we, we need to grow in receiving the love of God. Even when we do wrong, do you know when we sin, God still loves us? God hates the sin because of what sin produces, but God loves us in spite of the sin. And so these three aspects of abiding, we, we, we looked at, we learned about, and then we began to look in Psalm 91 about a psalm that is all about abiding and dwelling. And we're going to go there, we're going to finish it up today, and we're going to see some amazing things. We've already seen some amazing things, things that when you read Psalm 91, it was a psalm that I would go to when I was struggling, and I still do. But when I would read through these things, they were almost like too big to be believed. But how many of you know the Bible tells us God will do exceeding abundantly above all we can ask or think? That's, that's, that's not just something somebody wrote because they wanted somebody like us to just have a good day. It was something that God had written down so that you and I could look at it, we'd be able to process it and begin to digest it in our, our own lives, in our own minds, in our own hearts, and come to the realization that God doesn't lie. This is what God said. God will do what he said. We just have to believe it. We need to come to that place where we say, all right, God said it. That settles it. And I'm choosing to believe it and benefit from it. Because if, if God has said it and we don't believe it, the benefit isn't there. Because faith moves things that God has prepared from there to us. And so we need to believe today. And so let's pray. If you'd bow your heads. Heavenly Father, thank you for your presence here today. Thank you, Father, that we can't go anywhere that you aren't there. And not only are you present around us, you live in us by your Spirit. Father, today we proclaim that we need you. Not just on Sundays. We need you every day. We need you not just every day. We need you everywhere. And Father, we ask that you would help us. Help us to recognize our need to abide and dwell with you. To be intentional about involving you in everything we do. Looking to you for all that you can do in us and through us. So that, Father, we will continue to grow in your grace and in your knowledge and go from glory to glory. So we thank you for what you'll speak here today, what you'll reveal to us through your word and by your spirit, that, Father, we can hide, and hide it in our heart that we might not sin against you. And we thank you, Father, for your faithfulness and your goodness. In Jesus' name, everyone said, amen. So in Psalm 91, 
Again, we look at Psalm 91, and the first two verses are very, very important because they kind of set the stage for everything else. And we, we saw last week where, uh, and the week before, that it says, he who dwells, that word dwells is, is an Old Testament word for abides. It's to be present, to be constantly connected. Uh, he who dwells in the secret place of the Most High will abide under the shadow of the Almighty. And we found out the secret place is what? It's a place of what? Oh, please don't scare me that way. Uh, a place of separation, right? Of severing. Separation and severing from what? What does God want us to be disconnected from? Right, not reality. God wants us to be aware of what's going on, but even more aware of who is with us and what he can do. Because when we become aware of just what's going on, we become overwhelmed. But when we are aware of what's going on around us, and we are intentionally in the midst of that, focusing on the one who is with us and what he can do, no longer are we afraid. We don't have to be afraid. And, and so this secret place being severed, separated from the ways of the world, because the ways of the world are not God's ways. And if we're in this new kingdom, we need to cut off the old ways. We can't live in the kingdom of God and experience everything the kingdom has and what God has for us living in the old ways. Old ways get the old things. You know, one, one form of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. Well, we can't keep doing what we've always done, the way we've always done it, because we're in a new kingdom. We are under a new Lord. It used to be sin was, was lording it over our life, was controlling our life. The enemy was controlling our life. Self was controlling our lives. And now we have to sever Put ourselves aside, put the world's ways aside, and begin to walk in the ways of God. And so as we do that, we'll abide under the shadow, the protection, the covering of the Almighty, the most powerful God. And then it goes on to say, I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God, in Him will I trust. We found out refuge is a safe place, a place of, of security, of, of peace, Fortress is a strong place. So God is our safe place and our strong place. When things go on, where do you run? Who do you turn to? And I know we're in church, so the answer should be God. But we ought to be honest with ourselves. Who do we really turn to? What do we run to? Because if it's anything other than God, it's going to let us down. And that's why we need to say, speak to yourself. David encouraged himself in the Lord. We need to speak to ourselves and remind ourselves, God, God is my refuge, my safe place, my security. God is my fortress, my stronghold, my castle, my protection. And in him will I trust. And then we saw, following this ver these verses, all these benefits that come when we separate ourselves and connect ourselves, separate ourselves from the world's ways and from our self-ruling to God and His ways and Him ruling, us following Him. And when we read those, they were, they were amazing about protection. And I'm telling you, in these days, 
it's hard to find something that can truly protect us except for God. And that's why we need to put our hope and our trust in God. Then it, it told us that we need to realize that in verse 5, we don't have to be afraid of any of this. All these things that are going to go on, God is going to take care of us. You shall not be afraid of the terror by night or the arrow that flies by day. What's he saying? Nothing in the night or nothing in the daylight should be overwhelming to you. Now, how many of you know it's easy to have anything in the night and anything in the light overwhelm us these days? Hello? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. But he's telling us if we'll dwell in the secret place of the Most High and we abide under the shadow of the Almighty, if we make him our refuge and our fortress and trust in him, then we don't have to be afraid of anything that we hear on the news. Let's just get real. Because one of the things that if you don't realize it, it's affecting you all the time. The news is based on fear. The news is making you need to come back because of the fear they induce in you so you need to know the next so I can be prepared. You're not being prepared, you're just being scared. It doesn't prepare you, it informs you and freaks you out. Now, if you can't deal with listening to the news and not being afraid, stop listening. Well, then I won't know. You don't need to know. Do you know that, that, that we as human beings are so overwhelmed with information that isn't applicable to us? We can't handle all this information. It's just overwhelming. And better time spent in God's word, in God's presence, worshiping and praising God. Being still and knowing that he is God. And that no weapon formed against you will prosper. That he makes you overwhelmingly more than a conqueror in all things. That he is with you and that he is for you and nothing can stand against you. See, those types of things will do just the opposite of what the news and what these other things do to us. They instill peace and hope, security and strength, stability, which is just the opposite of what's going on in our world. It's becoming more unstable than ever before. And we don't have to fear because God is here. But we need to make ourselves available to God. We need to hold on to God, not hold on to all these other institutions and things that have promised they'll take care of us. Because the only one that will take care of you, no matter what you face, is God. And then we found out in verse 9, he says, Because you have made the Lord who is my refuge, even the Most High, your dwelling place. Because you've made. Because you choose. Because we choose every day. I choose every day what I'm going to use my time for. How many of you have more than 24 hours a day? And I know if I said how many of you wish you had, some of you might erroneously raise your hands because you don't need more time. God knew how much time each one of us needed. I was complaining to God. 
You don't do that, but I was. I was complaining to God, God, my schedule is so full. I got so many things to do. And, and if I got to get this all done before I come to see you, I'll never come to see you. And, and I just went on. And you know, God is so, so kind. He is so merciful. And, and waited for me to get done. And I had finally vomited all this stuff out. And I became very aware that he created time. But he is not confined by time like we are. And he said, I created you. I know you. My creation needs only 24 hours a day. If you had more, you'd misuse that too. But I've given you enough time to do what I have for you to do, but not enough time for you to do what you want to do and everybody else does and have time left over. And I was like, you're so wise. And at that moment, I felt so foolish. But you know, sometimes you have to stop and become aware that God is not unaware of what's going on in your life. God proclaimed the end from the beginning. He's got a plan that's good for each one of us with a future and a hope. And it's not to cause us to be undone or overwhelmed. It's causing us to be built up and overcome. And that's where we have to choose who are we going to rely on? Who are we going to trust in? Who are we going to follow? And if we trust in or rely on or follow anything other than God, then we're going to find out when we get to the end of that, that pathway that we're on, it didn't work out as well as, number one, we thought and hoped, and definitely not as well as God would have caused it to be. And so we need to. We need to rely on God. We need to make him our dwelling place. And after verse 9, we went through and looked at the amazing promises, provisions that God has for us. And I don't have time to go over that today. We've already gone over it. I would hope that, that you are going over Psalm 91 at least once a week, looking at it, committing it to memory, believing it, expecting it to happen in your life, in the days that you live in, because it's very applicable. You know, even though the Bible was written thousands of years ago, understand that it's applicable. It is the most applicable book to our lives in these days. And so we looked at all this, and then we got down to verse 14, 15, and 16, and we started into it, but... Today we're going to do something different. How many of you know when you read Hebrew, you don't read left to right? One of us is reading these things backwards. They read right to left. And so we're going to do something different than what we usually do. We usually go down in order, but we're going to start at the end. So we're going to go to verse 16. And we're going to look at the culmination of Psalm 91 and see what, what God says. Because there's something that happens. There's something that 
it drastically changes at verse 14. Up to verse 14, it's the psalmist writing. Starting at verse 14, God begins to respond. And the psalmist writes out what God is saying to you. If you'll make him your dwelling place. If you'll abide. If you'll live that separated, severed life. Because it's a choice. This is what God wants for you. This is what God has for you. But you and I still have to choose it. It's not an automatic. There are qualifiers. If we don't abide, these things don't apply. If we don't dwell, these things are not part of our lives. And I can tell you, as I read this, I want every bit of it. I am a spiritual pig. I want it all. I want it all. And you know what? We can have it all. And so it ends up with this. This is how this whole psalm culminates. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. How many of you don't want a long life? I know, obvious question. But if we want a long life, if we want to be satisfied and fulfilled, if we want to see the fullness of God's salvation, and I have to say this, when we talk about salvation, salvation doesn't start at the end of this life. No, I'm serious. You, you don't realize how many people think that salvation is at the end of this life, I don't go to hell, I go to heaven. Is that true? Yes, it's a partial truth. But we're missing out on a lot that we could gain in this life. Because salvation isn't just kicking in when our heart stops here. Salvation kicks in when Jesus comes in. And salvation is not just eternal life in heaven. It is, and that's awesome. But God wants you to begin to experience eternal life, heaven on earth, the day Jesus becomes your Lord. And so it says that with long life, I'll satisfy him. Now, when, when it says he'll satisfy us with long life, it's important that we recognize that a lot of people are very unsatisfied. Is that true? And I'm not going to ask you if you're one of them. But we all are at times, aren't we? We aren't satisfied. You know, it's that great song, I don't get no. That's it. But I tried. But God will give it to us. And when, when we're talking about satisfaction, it's talking about abundance, uh, being fulfilled, being overflowed with life. Jesus said, I've come, in John 10, 10, I've come to give you life and life, what? More abundantly. More abundantly. God wants your life to be abundantly supplied. God wants your life to be abundantly fulfilled. God wants your life to be abundantly victorious. Now, that means that you're going to encounter things, but you're going to have victory in them. You're, you're going to have your needs provided for in them. You're going to go through them and you're going to be able to bear up in them. God's not going to just snatch you out of them. And the reason why is if God snatched us out and we kind of navigated all around the problems and the challenges and the things that everybody else that doesn't know Christ in this world experiences, they would look at us and look at us as a freak and say, well, I couldn't possibly be like you. 
But when they see us going through the same things and us not having the same attitudes, having the same experiences they are as far as how it affects us, they are still going to look at us as abnormal because we're supernatural. But they're also going to want what you have. They're going to want the peace. They're going to want the hope. They're going to want the joy. They're going to want the security and the confidence that you have because you're looking at God and they don't know how to do that. And so they're going to be drawn to, even though they don't understand, they're going to be drawn to you. And so with long life, I'll satisfy him and show him what? God's saying, I'll show him my salvation. That, that word means to, to be saved, to be delivered, to have victory, prosperity, health, help, to do well. <clears throat> In Psalm 68, this isn't going to be up on your screens, verse 19, it says, Blessed be the Lord who daily loads us with benefits, the God of our salvation. The God of your salvation Every morning when you wake up has these benefits he's outstretched to you with. But guess what happens most of the time? It's kind of like some of you with breakfast. Breakfast may be waiting for you and you don't have time. You just run past it. I'm telling you, if we could see the benefits God had for us, we would not be out the door off to work, down the road, we'd stop. We'd spend some time with God. And some of you do. Some of you have uh, a devotional, a quiet time. We give you a book that every day you can have something to chew on from the Word of God, some insight, some understanding. And, and I will tell you, I don't always read it in the morning. Sometimes I read it at night. Sometimes I miss I have to read a couple of days and back up, and I realize, man, if I had just stopped and read that this, the morning that it was for, it would have helped me with what I faced. Why? Because God always loads you with benefits. God always supplies your need before you know the need. Now, we don't always recognize it, but he always does because God's faithful. And sometimes we think, well, God's late. Uh-uh. You're mistaken. God is never late. God's timing is perfect. The Bible says God makes everything beautiful in his time. So don't think he's missed something because he doesn't miss anything. Don't think he's late. He's on time. I used to think if I were God, I would have sent Jesus right after Adam and Eve sinned. Made sense to me. But God didn't, so no matter what I think, it's not right if it's not what God's done or what God does. God always does the best. So he will show his salvation, his victory, his prosperity, all these things, his abundance, his peace, his hope, his joy, his strength to you and me every day. If we'll dwell, if we'll abide. And I don't know anybody here, so I'm not even going to answer the question of who wants that. We all want it. 
But to get it, we have to do what God says. We can't get what God has if we do something else. God has a plan and it's perfect. And we can't break rank and say, well, I'm going to do this. That's what Adam and Eve did. And look where it got them and look what it gets us. Less than God's best and usually it's not very good at all. And so with long life, he'll satisfy us and he'll show us his salvation. Then we back up to verse 15 and we see what he says. He shall call upon me and I will answer him and I'll be with him in trouble and I will deliver him and honor him. Now that's, that's, that's a bunch. But what's it start out with? He will what? Who do you call? Man, there was a movie. That's right. Some of you are like, you got, I, I know that. It's Ghostbusters. Who are you going to call? Who are you going to call? Right answer. Absolutely right answer. Who do you call? Who do you lean on? Who do you look for? Who are, are you relying on? Who do I want to celebrate first with and seek out when trouble comes first? Because if he's not first, he's not in the right place and somebody else is out of order. We can't have the life God has for us if we don't order things the way God told us. And he told us that Jesus is supposed to have the preeminence in all things. That word is not a word that we use, but preeminence means the first place in value, in influence, and impact. He is supposed to have the first place. Whatever goes on, if you have a victory, celebrate it first with God because he gave it to you. Nobody will celebrate you like, like God will. God is so excited to be able to celebrate your victories, big and small. And nobody will supply to you what God can when you're struggling. He'll celebrate and he'll supply but if we don't seek him out first, he'll get wherever we put him in line. And we eventually get to him when we exhaust all the things that we think will work. When we could have had him first, where he should have been. He shall call on me. That's why, that's why we've been encouraging everybody. When you pull out your phone and you go to do something on your phone, pause for a second, connect with God. Begin to create a habit of connection throughout the day with God. Because we do. We connect with our phones, man. We're pulling those out all the time, whether they're calling us or not. And if we'll just connect with God half as much as we get on our phone, our lives are going to be different. But if we do begin to make this a part of our everyday living where we're, we're connecting with God, you know, we're driving in the car and somebody hasn't cut us off, but we're just praising God. And when somebody does cut, cut us off, we pray for them. We don't curse them. 
come on. We pray for them. God, and I will tell you, transparency. Man, I used to be the worst in the car. And I'm not as bad as I was, but I'm not as good as I'm going to be. And now I do. People cut me off or do something that I, I view as stupid. <laughs> like I'm the know-it-all and what's stupid and what's not. It's just what I like and what I don't like. I pray for them. I don't know. Maybe they're going someplace they need to get there and they just needed to cut in my lane. Like it's my lane. Right? See our perspective? The world revolves around us. And so I'll pray for them. God, wherever they're going, keep them safe. Keep other people safe around them. If they don't know you, I pray that they would come to know you. And if they do know you, I pray that they live for you. How long did that take? 15 seconds. But what a change in what I used to be like when that would happen to what I am most of the time now. So he shall call upon me. And what's, what's God say he's going to do? What? Answer. I don't know what kind of calls you get, who calls you. I've got some people that I, I really esteem highly. And, and it's uh, it, Tony Cook. Tony Cook will call me from all over the world. And I'm just, I'm shocked. I'm amazed. This is a man that knows all sorts of people. And he takes time out to call me. And I am amazed by that. I'm encouraged by that. And yet he's nothing like God. Well, he is a little like God, like we all are trying to be. But we're talking about God answering us. God will answer you if you'll call out to him. If we aren't going to seek him, he's not going to push his way in. But he'll answer. He'll answer. That, word, that phrase, will answer him, implies that he will be attentive to respond. Attentive to respond. God loves you so much. He just wants you to turn to him and begin to. But the only way that's going to happen is if we're abiding, we're dwelling. God is an ever-present part of our lives. This is the way we're supposed to live. This is the way we're going to live in heaven. And earth is our practice. There's more distractions, more disruptions here. But God wants us to get to that place where we are very aware and we're connected with him, and we're interactive with him. We turn to him, we call to him, he answers us, and it's just normal. It's just like breathing. And for most of us, when we think about that, that's, that's so foreign, it's like, can that really be? Can I really believe? Yes, it says it right here. Call upon me, and I will answer him, and I will be with him in trouble. You know, growing up, I, I knew there were times that I was going to be in certain situations that I could be in trouble, and I didn't want to be alone. And I would get friends. I'd say, hey, would you take a walk with me? One of them was when I was at junior high school. 
I knew if I went outside from the cafeteria, I was going to get thrown in the stream because that's what happened. And so I wouldn't go outside alone. Now, that was very restrictive because the people I was relying on weren't available all the time. But I want you to know that God's available to you all the time in everything. He'll be with you. But how many times are we in these situations and, and we're trying to figure out, I'm trying to figure out with my limited mental capacity, my limited resources, and I'm not, I'm not slamming myself, we're all limited mentally and resourcefully. And I'm trying to work this out and figure this out and make it happen the best way and I forget. I don't acknowledge. I don't call on him. I don't look for an answer for him. I'm not really aware of him being with me. And yet he is. This is the most amazing thing. That God wanted so much to be available to you and me. He said, I am, I am coming home to you. I'm coming to live in you. And then in Romans, he says, nothing can separate you from his love. And then it lists all sorts of things that we could easily say, man, that, that, that would separate me. But it doesn't. We have to recognize and believe that God is right there. God cares and God wants to be involved. And God can do much more than anyone else we can resource. I'll be with him in trouble and look, I'll deliver him and honor him. What? I'll deliver. Now, please understand, when we read this, what do we think when somebody is delivered from something? Freed. Is it kind of a picture of, well, when they're delivered, they're picked up and they're taken out and they're put somewhere else. I want you to understand that's not the complete meaning of that word delivered. In, in, it's saying, I will deliver him. There is... A deliverance where he brings us out of it or he brings us through it. And you and I don't get to choose which one we want. Because we know what we're going to choose. We're going to choose out. How many times have we prayed to God, God, I want this over, I want out. You know, you can, you can tell me anything and I'll believe it, but God knows what you do. And we ought to be honest with ourselves. And that's where when, when, when God chooses not to eliminate and alleviate all the pressure, he's doing a good thing. I... I I knew I wasn't going to get much response to that because our flesh says, no, it's not good at all. You need to get this out of here. Just get it over with. Let's get on with the, the parade. What's happening is he's developing you. He's developing you. There's a story of a sick man who was very frail and fragile and and he was praying to the Lord, Lord, help me, help me get strong, because if I don't get strong, I'm going to die. And he felt this 
direction by the Holy Spirit to go out to a cabin that his family had. And he went out to the cabin, and there's this huge boulder in the front yard. And as he was praying there and asking God, what do I do? What do I do to get stronger? There was an impression the Holy Spirit gave him to go out and, and move the rock. And he thought, that's, that's crazy. I can't move that rock. And it kept coming and kept coming. And he, he finally just said, all right. You know, so he went out day after day trying to move that rock, move that rock. And after a month, he just broke down and said, God, this is not working. It's not working. And the Spirit of God encouraged him, go look in the mirror. And what had happened through that month of him pushing against the rock, pushing against the rock, pushing against the rock, he started to get stronger. And he didn't even know it. He didn't see it in himself. He wasn't aware of it. And he felt like a failure because he hadn't moved the rock, but God didn't tell him to move the rock. He told him to push the rock. There are things you and I are going to push against, and we're going to bear up in it. The Scripture tells us that that's at times what happens. We get into situations, and God makes a way of escape, and then it goes on to say to bear up in it. Our escape isn't always a way. It's at times and many times more through because we get stronger. When we go through something and God has sustained us through it, we look back on it in a different, with a different perspective. When we looked at it at first, we did being overwhelmed and fear-filled, uncertain. But now God's brought us through. We look back at it as appreciative that God brought us through, not afraid and not overwhelmed. So when we face that again, we're not going to be the way we were before. Because we face some of the same things over and over and over again, don't we? And that's where God has for us to go through these things. Not, and not just for us, it's for other people. They watch us go through and they are astounded that you and me could ever make it through these things. And that questioning causes them to be seeking, what is it that makes you different? And they may even seek you out to find out. And you can tell them what made you different, and that's God. And he can make a difference in their life. So he'll deliver and honor. Honor? Well, in, in one translation, it tells us that when, when someone is honored, uh, that word honor means to prevail, to make known. The enemy will come to know who you are. To prevail and to, when you honor somebody, you make them known and, and make them know what you have benefited. But when when somebody's honored, it's usually something that gets around, right? Honor gets around. <laughs> yeah, it does. It, it makes kind of a, a circuit. And when God honors you, you become known. But you may not be known to the world at large, but I'm going to tell you who you're known by. 
the enemy and his troops. If people don't know you, that's not a big deal. If God knows you, that's a big deal. If the enemy knows that you're God's, that's a big deal. There was a, a situation in the book of Acts where there were these people that were delivering other people. And, and Paul, Paul delivered some people of demonic spirits and, and these, these Jewish kids watched him do it and so they started to do it. They were trying to deliver somebody and, and these were the seven sons of Sceva. Sceva was a, a Jewish high priest. And so his kids are doing what Paul was doing but didn't know what they were doing. How many of you know if you do what somebody else does, you don't always know what you're doing? Well, they didn't know what they were doing. Because they went to deliver somebody and they said, we adjure you or we address you in the name of Jesus who Paul preaches. Now they were trying to deliver this person by using the name of Jesus because Paul used it and the Spirit spoke to him and said, Jesus we know, Paul we know, but who are you? And immediately the Spirit came out of the person and just ripped them to shreds. Now, you may say, I'm really afraid of that. That makes me afraid today. It's, it's, no, 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 no. That wasn't to scare you. It's to prepare you. If you know who you are, and you know who God is, and you abide in God, and God abides in you, His Spirit abides in you, and you abide in His Word, and His Word abides in you, and you abide in His love, and His love abides in you, you'll know who you are, and so will the enemy. And guess what? He doesn't pick on the strong. He picks on the weak. And when you know who you are, the enemy will not run at you. He'll run from you. This is amazing. These promises are absolutely amazing. And then we go to verse 14 to find out what precedes this. What causes us? To have these promises, these provisions. It says, because I have set, because he has set his love upon me. Again, God is speaking. Because he has set his love upon me. Whoever this is, it could be you if you choose to. It could be me if I choose to. Because I have set my love upon God. Who do you love? That's another song. Who do you love? Man, we love a lot of things, but there's one we should love above and before anyone else, and that's God. That's what abiding is about. It's about this relationship, friendship, that we cling to God, that we go to God, that we abide in God, we dwell in God, we look to God, we receive from God before anybody else. Because he has set his love upon me, therefore I will deliver him. I will set him on high because he has known my name. If God sets you on high, how high is it? Man, there's nothing higher. Because he has set his love upon me. When it says to set, that set his love upon me. It means to cling to, to join to, to adhere, to fasten, to long for and desire. It's about dwelling. It's about abiding. 
See, there are three places in this chapter that it talks directly at dwelling and abiding. Verse 1, verse 9, and verse 14. And all the things that we read in between after are a result of that. And if we don't, these won't be ours. But if we do, they will be. Therefore, I will. This is the beginning of verse 14, 15, and 16. If you look at this later on today or this week, just look at how many, God's, how many times God says, I will, I will, I will, I will, I will, I will. And when God says, I will, he does. He's not going to say, I will, and not do it. And so when, when he says, I will, deliver him. Again, it means to bring into security. Either a lift out and carry, or a strengthen and go through. But either way, that's what God does. I will set him on high. When it says set him on high, again, it means to be lifted and carried, held in a lofty, inaccessible, safe, strong, secure place, defended. You know, people are buying these, these bomb shelters. I mean, th there is a new rush for people to buy bomb shelters. Either put them in their basement, dig a hole in the backyard, but... That is not going to be a safe place. Let's just say this. Something happens. You can't live in there forever. So if you're going to trust, trust in someone who has never failed and never will fail and won't start with you. That's where we trust in God. We see God do supernatural things for the people that would trust in him and follow him. And why is this? Because, because we have set his love, our love upon him, and because we have known his name. You know, a lot of people pray, but they have no idea who they're praying to. Oh God, I come to you, and, and I need your help, and well, what God? Big G, little g. And who is your God? See, if I know that my God is Jehovah Rapha, that's one of his names, or Jehovah Jireh, or Jehovah Nisi, or Jehovah Shalom, the God my peace, the more we know his name, the more we know his nature. We know who he is and what he does. Names are not like names today. We call our kids all sorts of things. Just because we found a, a name we like. It didn't happen in the Bible. Everybody that was named in the Bible was named for a reason. Their name revealed their character. And that's why we need to know the names of God. Know them. And know that we are going to Jehovah Rapha, the God that heals us. That, that healing is is his children's bread. And he gives you your daily bread. 
But if you don't know he's your healer, you're going to find someone that you think is going to be able to heal you. If you don't know he's your provider, you're going to find someone or something you think will provide for you. If you don't know that he is your peace, then you're going to try and find something or someone that will give you some semblance of peace. But none of it, none of it will do what God does. Because when God does it, it's done. It's done. Because he has known my name. You know, in the days we live in, we really need to know who God is, who our God is. Because in knowing who our God is, we were created by him. We were created for him. And there are characteristics that he has that we should possess. Faithfulness. Joy. Peace. Love. Kindness. Generosity. Patience. Oh yeah, that's the fruit. The fruit of the Spirit. And as we know him, we can live in a way that he has for us to live. When it says he has known my name, it means when, when we, he uses the word know, it means to be interactive and intimate in a trusting friendship. Be aware of and come to know and discover and understand who he is. And when it says my name, it means his authority, his character, his honor. Because of the relationship we have. We know his authority. We know his character. We know his honor. We know his power. We know his ability and his provision. And when we know that, church, when we know that, just like it said in verse 5, you don't have to fear anything in the day or anything in the night because there's one that's with you all the time. Next week, we're going to look at the tale of two kings. It's dealing with dwelling and abiding and how one did and one didn't and the result of it. Because both of them were chosen by God. But both of them made choices of what was going to be their priority, what they were going to hold on to, what was going to be important to them. And we see two people having very different ends. And we want one of their ends and we don't want the other one but that's next week so i'm trusting that god has imparted something to you today but it's important that you recognize what 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 it is that he gave to you today he gave us all stuff that we should all be aware of but there's something that god specifically had for you and so i i'm just going to pray right now First, I just want you to close your eyes and pause. God, throughout the, the Psalms, you tell us to say law. Pause and reflect. Father, help us to begin to make it a habit every time we, we pray, we pause. Not to just talk to you, we got to listen to you. When we read, we read and then we pause. We pause to reflect, to, to hear what we just read and how you want to impact our lives with it. When we hear, 
we hear your word, Father. We, we want to pause so that we can, we can become aware of what you're speaking to us. What we need to incorporate in our heart, to realign ourselves or to align ourselves with you. Father, I thank you right now for the Spirit of God that lives in each and every one of your children here. Holy Spirit, it is said that you would remind us of every word the Father has said. What of this today is for us individually? And help us, Lord, help us to to make the adjustments, the realignments, or just the alignments that need to be in our lives so that we will walk in this new and living way in which we would experience true friendship with you and an abundant life that you give as you impact us and impart to us that we could impact and impart to others. Thank you, Father, for this. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand? Father, I thank you for each and every one of your children here. I thank you for this week that you have planned for each one, a, a week of victory, a week of joy, a week of abundance. And Father, I thank you that you go before us and prepare the way and you're our rear guard. That you uphold us with your right hand of righteousness. You cover us with your songs of life and of, of wisdom, of love and of peace and of joy. Father, you not only go ahead of us and are our rear guard, you live in us. Father, I pray that we would all become more attentive and intentional of being aware of you with us, of us calling on you, of us turning to you, of us trusting in you, of us dwelling with you and abiding with you. And as we give ourselves more fully to you, you can give yourself more fully to us. That our lives would truly reveal your glory. Christ in us that's a hope of glory. And so we thank you, Father, for this, and we bless you and we praise you in Jesus' name. And everyone said, have a great week.